what we've aspired to do here at One Life is is to create a winning process, enslave ourselves to it, and not so much concern ourselves with the outcome because it's a byproduct of the winning process. Plan to fail so you won't. Production will solve all your problems. Some will, some won't. Stop whining, so what? Just hit your weekly production goal. The weekend starts now. Our podcast today is sponsored by One Life America. Become part of the One Life family. Start your new career at One Life, and you're on the right track to providing a better life for yourself and your family. One Life is not just a company. It's a family of people who stand behind you, believe in you, and here to support you and help you be successful. As a One Life agent, you represent one of the premier insurance providers offering top quality products to the senior market. In addition to final expense coverage, we provide an extensive portfolio of products for you to offer to your clients, including a full complement of life insurance, health insurance, Medicare options, and annuities. We invite you to learn more about One Life America and the exceptional career you can tailor for yourself as an agent. Take a look at all the benefits of joining One Life and helping your clients deal with some of the most important family matters in their lives. Discover what a difference it makes to be part of a company that cares about you, your family, and the family matters that you consider most important. We believe you'll want to make One Life part of your life. Join the One Life family today. Check them out at onelifeamerica.com. Our podcast today is with Scotty Elliott. As President and Chief Executive Officer, Scotty Elliott is charged with developing a tactical plan to advance the company's mission and objectives and to promote revenue, profitability, and growth as an organization. Additionally, Scotty oversees daily operations to ensure production efficiency, quality, service, and cost-effective management of resources. Scotty comes to One Life America with a professional background in education and pharmaceuticals. He served Mississippi College as Director of Admissions, spearheading the recruitment campaign and strategy for the undergraduate school. Additionally, he is a member of the GlaxoSmithKline's world-class product promotional team, garnering numerous sales awards during his employment. He graduated with a bachelor's degree in accounting from Mississippi College in 2005 and a master's degree in business from Mississippi College in 2007. In addition, He completed 32 hours towards a Ph.D. in leadership studies at Mississippi College with a 4.0 GPA. Scotty was a four-year starting quarterback at Mississippi College and East Mississippi Community College, respectively, and was elected to the Mississippi College Hall of Fame on May 12, 2005. Scotty is married to Alana. They have two children, Catherine and William. He just received his fellow Life Management Institute Distinction, FLMI. Scotty is a board member of Fellowship of Christian Athletes, District 5 in Mississippi, Rotary Club member, member of the Westwood Baptist Church, where he teaches the college and career classes. Welcome, Scotty Elliott. Yep, sounds good. So um, let we'll start with just kind of a, uh, a non-trivial question. Uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had a purple sugar-free Red Bull. <laughs> is that it? No doubt. That would be all, Tucker. No, you know, no my, you know, when I wake up in the morning, uh, you know, we're hitting the ground running at the Elliott household, and I'm, 
usually getting the kids breakfast and scrambling to get out of the door on time to take Katie Scott to school, and rarely do I, you know, get anything to eat. So <laughs> That'll work. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where'd you grow up? What did your parents do? What was your childhood like? Absolutely. Well, you know, I often tell people that I had a nomadic upbringing. I went to some eight, you know, different schools, K through 12, three different states, multiple cities. Uh, And no, my father was not in the military. Uh, He's actually in higher education. He serves as a college president uh, in Meridian here. Uh, But I had a tremendous childhood, uh, just a very close-knit family. I've got an older sister who resides in central Florida and is a school teacher. She's six years my senior and was much like a second mother. Uh, But I was born in Longview, Texas, and I believe that that's the home of, uh, no, that would be Marshall, home of George Foreman, not far from there. Uh, But born in Longview, Texas, uh, we moved to central Florida when I was six years old and uh, moved into a sleepy little town called McIntosh. If you've ever seen the movie Doc Hollywood with Michael J. Fox, that's where they filmed a large part of that movie. That was a claim to fame there on Orange Lake. Uh, but, you know, was uh, had, a, had a great childhood upbringing. I mean, we uh, you know very traditional core values. Uh, my parents have been married now for over 40 years. They were childhood, you know, sweethearts, got married at 18 years old. And, and um, my father was very involved in, in everything that I did growing up. Um, athletics was always a big part of my life. And he was my little league coach uh, for football and baseball and soccer, uh, very involved and really modeled, um, you know, uh, manhood for me, uh, biblical manhood, um, man of God, and, and uh, injected strong, you know, values and principles into my life at an early age. Uh, we, so I was in central Florida, and we actually bounced around there uh, to a few different towns which is, you know, the reason why I went to multiple schools. Uh, between eighth grade year and, and, and the all-important ninth grade year, which transitioned you into high school, my dad had been studying for his doctoral degree at the University of Florida, which is where I derived my love for the orange and blue. We used to go to the, the games when I was a kid there in Gainesville when they donned the orange jerseys, so that, you know, back in the late 80s and and um, But he was working towards his Ph.D. at the University of Florida. At that time, he was serving as a vice president at Central Florida Community College. And when he, when he got the degree, he was eligible to start applying for college presidencies. That was a prerequisite. You had to have a terminal degree. And the first one he applied for was out in West Texas in the Panhandle up by Amarillo. And lo and behold, he landed it rather swiftly. And so I... Midway, uh, that happened midway through the summer of my eighth and ninth grade year. And so he, he came home one day, and I readily remember, um, you know, that when he did and told us that we were packing our bags and moving up by Amarillo. <laughs> you know, so that was quite adventurous. It was emotional as well, you know, because uh, I, you know, had a great set of friends there in junior high. But we traversed the country and, you know, Went, moved to Clarendon, Texas, and I spent my ninth through 11th grade years there in West Texas, and it was somewhat of a culture shock moving from Central Florida, and just had a great experience there. 
uh, small school, a little 2A high school, and played all the sports and, uh, you know, uh, just had a great high school experience there. Um, in similar vein, between the 11th and 12th grade year, moving into my senior year, uh, my dad had started to get restless. I guess it was, you know, we had moved around so much that it become somewhat habitual. And, uh, you know, he started putting in applications in, back in the southeast part of the country, and that was probably the thrust of it. You know, he missed the southeast, and, and, uh, and he landed a job here in Meridian, Mississippi. At, the, at Meridian Community College, and so I actually moved again between my 11th and 12th grade years, in fact, about two weeks before my senior year, to Meridian, and went to uh, West Lauderdale High School. Uh, it, you know, the Lord, you know, blessed me. It was a, ended up being really a smooth transition and, you know, landed in with a good group of friends that embraced me, and, um, and football was a big part of my life. Then I played quarterback in high school, and and it was fortunate that, uh, you know, the the guy that uh, started, you know, had graduated and the job was open and I was able to win it in two-a-day camp and had a great senior year there and, and uh, you know, you know uh, graduated from West Lauderdale and then moved on to college and, you know, played college football and uh, had a great experience there. But, but, again, relative to my childhood experience, I would say that uh, looking back on it, uh, that cultured me, I think, uh, certainly paid dividends in the business that I'm in today because I, in, you know, was interfaced with a diverse group of people all through life and, and was experienced a lot of different cultures and, and um, you know, just uh, had, a, had a tremendous childhood, Tucker. I wouldn't change anything. You might expand on that because you you showed up two weeks before school started and and won a, a quarterback position. Uh, can you tell that story? How did I mean that? That's just impressive to me to to show up the new kid at school. You don't really have any friends. You show up to uh, to practice and say, "I'm going to be the starting quarterback this year." How do you win that? Well, uh, you know that's a great question, Tucker. And you know I've always. Uh, I don't have the strongest athletic prowess, you know. There and, and there, quite frankly, there wasn't much of a market collegiately for a five foot ten, hundred and sixty pound quarterback. <laughs> so I played small college football, but uh, I really, you know, uh, started to to love football moving out to West Texas. I mean, it's you know, some some of the varsity blues stuff is certainly embellished, uh, but there's a but but there's a lot of truth to it as well. I mean the 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 small town that I was that I uh, I lived in my freshman through junior year was a football town, and uh, you know it was the whole Friday night lights you know experience. In fact, the first day that we were able to practice uh, in the UI they call it UIL University Interscholastic League, you know it was kind of the the regulating body there in Texas uh, high school. But the first day we were able to practice, we practiced at 12:01. A.M. and they call it midnight madness, and the whole town came out. We practiced under the lights, and and um, and literally the the town would come to the pep rallies. You know, on Fridays, if it was an out of town game, they'd shut down the shops, and we'd caravan. So I really, you know, fell in love with football in high school there, and played in a great program under some great coaches. And my junior year, I, I had a great year, and and uh, made all state uh, for 2A and, and uh, led the state of 
Texas in passing yardage and touchdowns um, for the 2A uh, high school. And, and so, you know, ahead of time, you know, my dad helped me out a little bit and sent some clippings and things of that nature. And so uh, coming in, I had developed somewhat of a resume, if you will, uh, but certainly I had to perform. But, you know, I've always just prided myself in, you know, hard work, determination, competitive excellence, those staples have always played a big part of my life in whatever I'm doing. And so I just came in with the mindset that, you know, I was going to win the job and settle for nothing less. And, again, it was an opportunistic position in that, you know, the, the starter, you know, had just graduated and the position was open. And, and uh, but, you know, good uh, a combination of good fortune and, you know, a lot of preparation up until that point. So um, as you're – you're doing these transitions and moving around and stuff. Uh, what what did you see yourself doing? What did you want to be or what kind of job were you wanting to do through that high school, college years? Yeah, no, a great question. I, um, growing up, uh, spending a majority of my childhood, formative childhood years in Central Florida and, and falling in love with the Florida Gators, I was there during the fun and gun era of Steve Spurrier. He had just come in in 91 from Duke and, and, uh, you know, uh, I used to run around the house literally with my Florida Gators visor on, pretending like I was Steve Spurrier throwing it on the ground and, <laughs> you know, never missed a ball game. And, and uh, you know, so I, I, I grew up wanting to be Steve Spurrier and coach, you know, and I wanted to coach collegiately. And, in fact, that was the uh, path that I was on. And, and you know, um, after I, I studied accounting, you know, in my undergraduate studies, and so I graduated with a, an accounting degree, and that was really the pragmatic approach and a contingency plan for me. Felt like if college coaching didn't work out, I'd have something to fall back on. And um, and so after playing at Mississippi College, uh, I, I transitioned right into a GA stint and coached the running backs, and that enabled me to get a graduate degree. So I, you know, got my MBA, uh, you know, because the school was paying for it. But really, I'd already started on a track of college coaching. And um, that's what I always wanted to do since I was a little kid. And, um, you know, I, I got married uh, during during my graduate studies. And, you know, my priorities began to shift. And I, and I started to observe that college coaching arena and realize that there wasn't time for much else. And, and uh, family was certainly going to be, you know, above profession in my priority hierarchy. And, and that's when I, I realized that, hey, this was just not going to be the profession for me. I loved football. I felt like I had a good acumen to coach. And uh, playing quarterback, I learned a lot about the game and really prided myself in being somewhat of an offensive strategist. And, uh, you, know, but, uh, you know, but the college coaching uh, career or profession, rather, necessitates mo- geographic mobility. Uh, you know, I married a Southern Belle, born and raised in Meridian, Mississippi, you know, and all of her family was here. And so going into marriage, I knew that we weren't going to move far from Meridian. In fact, you know, her des- she was desirous of, you know, planning a family here. So, so, you know, that eliminated that. And then the other thing was just time. There's just no time for family. I don't know how those guys do it. But that's what I always wanted to do growing up was coach college football. Hey, Scotty, what did you – it's Elena, is that correct? That's correct. Yes, sir. Did you meet I, – I knew she was from Meridian. Did you meet her in high school or did you meet her in college? I actually met her in high school. So uh, she was 
she was the head cheerleader, most popular girl on campus. And I don't say that braggadociously, you know, for me. Uh, if you've ever met Elena, she's a beautiful, beautiful lady and uh, just incredible girl. Uh, uh, she, uh, we graduated together at West Lauderdale, and my eyes were fixated on her quickly. Uh, but I tell people this, and it's a true story. She'll refute it, but I literally had to, you know, chase her around for a year before she would agree to go out with me. And we started dating the summer after we graduated, and we dated all through college, Jim. And um, we wanted to knock out our college degree first, uh, you know, and and, uh, and we got engaged my senior year of college, and, and then we got married shortly thereafter. Well, you definitely, um, as Tucker was mentioning earlier, really, I'm surprised the local boys didn't whoop you up bad. I mean, you come <laughs> to town, your senior year, you become the, the, uh, the quarterback of the football team, you start chasing the head cheerleader, who those guys have been chasing <laughs> probably since grade school. Good night. I'm surprised you didn't get whooped. Well, uh, you know that's a you know that's a, a, a you know a fair uh, you know understanding, but you know I guess I've the Lord's always had my back. <laughs> Good answer. You know, I de- and I definitely married up, no question about that. You know the old adage, you know out out kicked my coverage. You know that certainly rings true in my case. But we've been married now for twelve years. Uh, you know, I'm so thankful for her. You know, I'm I'm more in love today than I than I've ever been. You know, and and I know that that sounds sappy, but it's true in my case. And I think a big part of that, Jim. You know, as Tucker alluded to with my childhood, I've just been blessed to have that. You know, a good marriage modeled to me, and um and there's no doubt that that created a great underpinning for me early on. And, um, you know, I aspired to be like my dad. And, you know, he's done a lot well. But one of the things that I'm most proud of is just the love that he has for my mother. And, uh, you know, and he's modeled that for me since I was a kid. That's awesome. So let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, nowadays, let's say you're you're at a cocktail party and it's not an insurance one, or or say you run into a, a classmate who hasn't seen you for you know ten or fifteen years, and they're like, "Hey, Scotty, what what do you do anyway? How do you how do you answer that?" <laughs> well, you know that's uh, that's always interesting, and and most people are taken aback. Uh, you know, for me, obviously, insurance sales was not something that I aspired to, like most in this profession. Uh, Tucker, you might be an anomaly in that sense, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's something that I stumbled into. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like to think, Tucker, that people aren't surprised in, in that, that I'm in a leadership position. You know, those that maybe, you know, had been around, you know, me since youth or, you know, that, uh, that I gravitated to a leadership post because I'd like to think that I had some of those intrinsic and, uh, you know, intangibles, uh, you know, to, to lead. And uh, it, that was something I was always desirous of and gravitated to, in, you know, in any uh, respective thing that I did as a child. Um, maybe they're a little taken aback when they hit, hear insurance, but, you know, I think coaching was a perfect preparatory background for what we do. Because in a large sense, you know, I'm not on grit on the gridiron daily, as you know, and, and I'm not focused on, you know, football X's and O's, but there's so much that translates. And and when people understand, you know, being in the sales arena and, and you know, that we have a large sales force that needs motivating and 
tactical planning and accountability and all the things that come along with, you know, teamwork, you know, then, then it makes sense. So what do you do for a living? You want to tell our listeners? What, <laughs> what's your job title? Well, you know, it's interesting. What And it probably evolves, uh, but what I've learned after seven and a half years of this, and I'm still very much a proverbial work in progress, you know, we're in the relationship business, I think, first and foremost. And, um, you know, so I'm in the, in the business of cultivating meaningful and authentic relationships, first and foremost, uh, you know, on a daily basis. And then I think managing those relationships, and that be that becomes more difficult as you grow. I think that's a challenge, um, you know. But, but And then I think that, you know, at One Life, which makes us distinctively different than most, I'd like to think, is the marketplace ministry aspect. And, and I'm remiss that I didn't allude to that as a part of my childhood because certainly the spiritual upbringing was very important. And I always said, you know, on the, co- on the coaching front, that whatever you know, that it would be a perfect platform to invest in young people and be a positive example, and um, and use that platform as a ministry. You know, I was always heavily involved in the fellowship of Christian athletes, and uh, you know, it was a big part of uh, you know uh, just my spiritual composition today. Um, but so yeah, I think we're in the relationship business. I'm I'm a part of a leading a winning team. Um, you know that that seek that aspires to you know glorify the Lord as well. Certainly here at the home office, where I've got ready impact on that on a daily basis, and and use our platform you know for good. Well, you know, I challenged you. We've we've known each other what four years now, approximately. Yep. I think. Yep. And and I remember when, when we first met. Of course, I've known Ken Parker, your your boss and the founder of One Life and the Parker and Associates. I've known Ken Parker uh, for oh gosh, almost. 30 years, 28 years, I think I met him and, uh, and his son Wade. And, and I questioned the fact of why would you, why would they bring an outsider in to be president of a market organization that didn't know anything about what he was doing? And I remember, I think we we're sitting at the, that steakhouse. I can't remember what it's Lone Star or I can't remember what Roadhouse. I can't remember what it was. And I challenged you on that. You remember me asking you about that? I do. And, yes, sir. And it's interesting as I've gotten to know you and I've been around, one life and and watched your leadership role and and it's obvious to me why you know Ken Parker uh, asked you to to you know run his company because you bring a whole different perspective uh, that I have that that Ken has that Wade his son has that so many people you know even your father in law uh, Alan that you know we've done the same thing for many many years and you bring a whole different perspective and so it's been such a joy to watch you grow into your role as president and CEO of One Life America. Since you're not going to tell us what you do, I'll tell the listeners. <laughs> but uh, and, and what you said as far as being in the relationship business, um, you know, and I've said this many times, I'll say it again, you and Scott Glanton are, are two of the best in this business. Well, thank you, Jim. That, that means the world, especially coming from you, and it's humbling. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've been along for the ride, so to speak. And, and uh, you know, uh, so yeah, and, and and I think looking back hindsight, it's interesting to see how the Lord has truly navigated my professional path and uh, has prepared me for this. Is certainly I never anticipated this kind of this kind of uh, role and and being in the insurance business. But as I as I said, you know, from the academia standpoint, uh, unbeknownst to me, you know, that accounting background has certainly paid dividends. And then you know, transitioning into the MBA program. 
you know, I, I had a strong academic foundation to, to help run a business because certainly there's the financial component, you know, of being in my role uh, that I have to be a good steward of the financial resources with One Life America. And then I didn't get into this, and you know, but uh, when I left coaching at Mississippi College, uh, my, my first job that I got after I got married was in the admissions office there, and I served as an admissions counselor, and I actually had a territory, and and my I was a part of you know uh, essentially the sales force for the university, and our job was to go out and recruit students and then get them enrolled into the university, and um and you know so I was on the road visiting high schools, cultivating relationships with influencers such as you know guidance counselors, uh, you know recruiting seniors, and um, and then I spent four years in the admissions office and I. And I transitioned right into the Ph.D. cohort while I was there. And one of the things that, you know, bugs me to this day is I didn't complete it. So I started something that I didn't complete, uh, you know, but I finished th the, all the coursework towards a Ph.D. in leadership. And, I, and, and some of that as well I've been able to pull from in my current role. But I'm a dissertation shy of my doctorate, and I'll probably never revisit that. Um, but, you know, but, so I was in the admissions office for four years, and I got – I started as an admissions counselor, and then my second year there, I got promoted to the assistant director of admissions, and uh, we had a call center there uh, of student callers. In the evenings, there, we had a 40-seat call center, student workers, and they would call and recruit students and also help them in their enrollment, um, you know, their, their enrollment uh, piece. And I took on assistant director, and then also I managed that call center in the evenings while I was going to, you know, evening class as well. And uh, and then the next year I got promoted direct to director of undergraduate admissions, and I had eight direct reports that were admissions counselors. I was in charge of spearheading the recruitment strategy for the university. We had territory, sales territories, I'd, I'd refer to them now. And, um, and so, and then... You know, I, I did that for four years. I was there, and I came home from work one evening, and um, Elena and I had actually just had a miscarriage. It was our, you know, our first pregnancy, and it was an emotional time, particularly for Elena. And and it was one of those moments in life. I came home, and she was on the back porch and teary-eyed, and and she told me she was she wanted to go home, went home for her as Meridian. And it was one of those pivotal moments in life that I just knew, okay, she's serious. You know, and we need to go back home. And so I, I committed to her that I'd start looking. And that evening I got online and trolled, you know, some of the websites, uh, career websites, and found a job description for pharmaceutical sales and uh, made application that evening, brushed up my resume. And, and so a month later from that, in five interviews removed, I was able to land a job with GlaxoSmithKline serving as a pharmaceutical sales rep which, uh, you know, which that's when I left the Ph.D. cohort and I didn't finish the dissertation. Um, and we moved back to Meridian, and I started a job in pharmaceutical sales. And uh, that lasted for six months. I learned a lot about, you know, corporate world. Uh, got, I got a scripted call from my DSM uh, mid-December uh, of my first year on the post and, and getting laid off. They had gone through a corporate downsizing. Of course, this is prevalent in the pharmaceutical sales world. And I probably could have stayed in that industry because it's kind of one of those things, if, once you get in it and you start to develop a network, you know, I could have probably looked at moving to another company, but 
I just never did have peace. It paid good, but it just I didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to do. So I went and visited my old high school principal at West Lauderdale and and was able to land a job on the, on the high school staff coaching football and I felt like, you know, maybe Lord the Lord this is what you want me to do. You know, college coaching was not commensurate with you know my my priorities with family life, but high school coaching I can strike that balance and it keeps it keeps us here geographically. It's not as time consuming and and uh, and I started doing that and uh, and that's where I met Ken Parker's youngest son Daniel and that was kind of my inroad you know to uh, Ken and, and ultimately this job and so I revert and go and go back to you know to uh, that because you know it kind of gives you some context that really the Lord's navigating hand on my life. You know, I had sales experience through the admissions office, you know, through uh, the short stint in pharmaceutical sales. I had some leadership experience there as well, had the academic background that has proven preparatory for what I do today. And all of this was unbeknownst to me, uh, you know, that, that God was preparing me for this role at 27 years old. And, um, you know, and so it's been just been a, it, so it actually served to be a smoother transition than, you know, I would have anticipated otherwise. I, w- I want to hear this whole story about uh, how how they brought you on. But before we get into that, I want to want to give the listeners an idea uh, about how how big is One Life? How many states are you in? How many agents do you guys have, you know, at this point? Sure. Uh, well, we're licensed in all 50 states. Um we turn in business weekly in about 38 to 40 states at present. Uh, so we've got a national footprint. Uh, you know, we've got thousands of contracted agents, as you know, Tucker. Uh, and, and we've really diversified, you know, our business model the last few years, uh, partly out of necessity and partly to capitalize on opportunity. Uh, certainly our marketplace is probably more competitive today than it's ever been, and I think that that's going to be a truism ongoing. You know, um, and, you know, and our mantra here is to be pliable, flexible, uh, be able to turn on a dime. And, um, and so, you know, we, uh, so we've got a large sales force. The home office is here in Meridian where we employ 30 people to support the sales force. We've been in business since 1984. Um, you know, uh, prim- our, our primary thrust continues to be final expense, but we've, you know, the last couple of years diversified into some other markets as well um, that, you know, so far, knock on wood, it's been a good play for us. So, and the, the One Life wasn't quite that big when you started, um, but it was a, it was a good sized company. Um, so what did that story look like when, uh, when Ken Parker wanted to bring you on? Yeah. So again, you know, Ken has got a remarkable story. In fact, I've told him for years now that, you know, we need to hire somebody to write a book on his life because he's the consummate example of, you know, uh, the American dream come to fruition. Talking about a guy that was, uh, you know, reared in Noxipater, Mississippi, population some 1500. As I understand, he grew up on a farm. Um, actually, uh, you know, uh, dropped out of high school after his junior year and got his GED, got married and, and went to work. Um, and I think that, you know, he was roofing houses, if I'm not mistaken, and hurt his back, and uh, which put him out of, you know, out of work in that industry anyway. And, um, 
answered an ad in a classified to run a debit. And that was around 1974-1975. And so um, just to give you some context of how One Life America came to being, uh, Ken got into the insurance business not about 1975, started with a captive debit company, worked his way up the proverbial managerial ranks. And, you know, fast forward to about 1983, he's serving as a, you know, a manager in the company, doing very well, but had this driving, you know, uh, force, uh, you know, and really an entrepreneurial flair to build something bigger than themselves. And he really didn't want to cap on that. And that's where he took a leap of faith and uh, started Parker and Associates in 1984. He left the captive company, was uh, started it out of his, you know, the humble confines of his living room. I think he convinced a couple of guys to come over with, with him, and uh, and that's the humble beginnings of Parker and Associates in 1984. The first 20 years of our company existence, we were primarily final expense. Ken had developed a captive force as well, uh, you know, very successful primarily relegated to the southeast, very controlled distribution, uh, final expense-centric. You know, he was definitely, I think, one of the pioneers of uh, final expense direct mail and um, started his own lead company and controlled, uh, you know, the lead distribution in-house. And so about 2003, if I'm not mistaken, we did about $56 million of uh, final expense premium, and that was about the time that the government was privatizing Medicare and the big health carriers were looking for distribution. And Ken was postured well uh, to take advantage of such an opportunity. So, you know, they, that, he transitioned into the Medicare business about 2003, 2004, and, uh, and almost overnight, and I don't think it was really by design, it was just such a lucrative economic business model, that his field force shifted. And uh, so he, was, he, he got into the Medicare business, and then you know, from about 2003 to 2010, he was near Medicare-centric and had lost his final expense focus. And, of course, the, you know, the economics of that business model you know, uh, changed immensely from be coming in at the beginnings, and it was much like the Wild West, and and then uh, you know come you know fast forward to 2010, and it was markedly different from you know when he entered it, and then the, the regulatory component of it had really tightened down. It was government controlled. CMS was involved. You know he uh, you know so he was ready to get back to his roots, and and that was a big part of bringing me on. He felt like he needed some fresh perspective. It was a, you know, also by way of succession planning for the agency, maybe some youthful vigor. And, um, and so I came on the scene in 2010, and I was charged with getting us back into final expense, hence the name change. You know, uh, I felt like we, we needed a facelift. We needed something to rally behind. So we elected to change our name to One Life America. One, you know, had significance because it was a you know, it, it, it was uh, highlighting kind of a consolidation play because in the Medicare Advantage era, we had gotten kind of gotten away from having some core controls in place, and, and we had a lot of different marketing companies doing their own thing, and we wanted to wrangle back that wrangle that back in house, and so that you know, one signified that life signified you know the idea of getting back into life the life business. But my first year here in 2010 with with a residual force. We were able to muster up $8 million of premium, 
and um, and we've been you know growing at a, a good rate ever since. So, what did that look like uh, from your perspective um, to have? I assume Kim Parker talked to you and said, "Hey, I have this large marketing organization, and I, I want you to be the head of it." What did that uh, conversation sound like? Well, I, it actually happened over the phone one weekend, and I dropped the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was a bizarre materialization, to say the least. Uh, you know, we had cultivated a relationship with it. You know, through his youngest son, who I alluded to that I coached his senior year, and I'd actually helped Daniel. Uh, get into my alma mater, Mississippi College. I mean, I, again, I look back on this, and it's just crazy how, you know, the Lord set this up. Uh, you know, I had the en- enrollment services background, so I knew a lot about, you know, that component. And so I, in essence, served as Daniel's admissions counselor. I had played football there, so I knew the whole coaching staff. And so, you know, I helped Daniel in that process, and he actually went on to Mississippi College right out of high school and was on the football team. And and it was through that that I think Ken saw something in me that he was willing to invest in. And, uh, and that's where it started, our conversations. And initially he wanted me to come on board and be a recruiter for him, uh, you know, and, and and, uh, you know, I the first time he talked to me about it, you know, I, I turned him down. I, of course, I was humbled. I was honored. But, I, you know, if you recall, I'd gone through three career changes in about a year and a half, you know, from admission, you know, working as a director of admissions to pharmaceutical sales to high school coaching. And I just really didn't want to make another change. I was ready to get settled in and fixate my eyes on being a, being a head high school football coach. But, but, but uh, you know, after I chewed on his offer, he really, you know, created something for me that I couldn't turn down, you know, for, for my family. And, um, and I, so I started to work, you know, for him as in his recruiting department. And that lasted really a week before he moved me up to vice president of marketing. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's exactly how it happened. <laughs> and then about another week removed from that, after being at the office for two weeks, that's when he called me over the weekend with his oldest son, Wade, because they had conferred. And, you know, he offered, you know, said that he wanted to name me the president. And, um, you know, it, it's after it's, two weeks at the job. That's pretty it, cool. <laughs> it really, and it was really just that, you know, and as crazy as it sounds. And, and, um, but I, I, I jokingly tell people, you know, I, I'm one of those critical thinkers that, you know, uh, I was in his office near daily, you know, uh, interviewing him saying, you know, hey, what's our, you know, what's our mission? What's our three, five, seven year business plan? You know, what's our value set? You know, what is it that we're trying to promote? If I'm going to recruit for you, I got to know all these things. And, you know, and I tell people he just got tired of me coming in his office and he finally <laughs> said, here, you, you come up with all that stuff and you run the place. That sounds like you. Uh, but obviously there was more to it than that. I mean, Ken had been really praying through and thinking about the next era of, of his company. And, um, and I, and again, I think he saw something in me and he's a, you know, he, again, I said, he's a consummate entrepreneur. And one, one, uh, element of an entrepreneur is there's a component of risk taking, you know, and, and he's never been averse to taking calculated risk. And, Perhaps I was the biggest risk that he ever took, but I'm thankful that he did. I'm forever indebted to him, and he's been an incredible person to work for because, quite frankly, he's empowered me. 
and he's equipped me, and you know, uh, you know, and, and he's paved the way for me to be successful. And um, you know, I've not been micromanaged. You know, uh, I've been empowered to do an effective job, and and he's given me the tools and resources, you know, uh, to be successful. And I'm and I'm very thankful for that. Scotty, something you haven't mentioned, and you never do. Um, your father-in-law is the number one agent uh, in Parker and Associates. He was Ken Parker's right-hand man, still is. Um, and, and it's something I know that if, if people will do a little research and, and do a little digging, they'll find out that your father-in-law is in that role, and people will think, well, no wonder he's the president of the company. His father-in-law got, got the job. And it's something I remember I brought up to you about that, and you said, no, your wife wanted you out of this business. She didn't, she didn't want you anywhere near this business. You might mention something like that to our to our listeners. Absolutely, Jim. No, that's a, and that's a great point to bring up. And and first, and you're referring to Alan Bowles, my father-in-law. And you know, on the personal front, uh, this will be an unashamed plug. I mean, but it's the truth. He's uh, the best father-in-law I could ever ask for. And he's embraced me like a son. Just an incredible guy. Um, but you're absolutely correct. You know, I dated Elena for six years before we got married, roughly. And in in those six years, I, I stepped foot on this campus or in this office one time that I recall. I had never met Ken. Of course, for those that know Ken Parker, he's kind of unassuming and in the background and, you know, not an out front guy. So I really never had opportunity to do that. Um but she was adamant there, you know, there was one thing I was not going to do. And that was, uh, you know, come, come to work, you know, here for a father, you know, because as you know, Jim, you know, that's a big part of, uh, you know, what we do is recruiting. And so her, her dad never once ever tried to recruit me. And I think, you know, as I stated, I, for me, you know, number one, I came from a background, you got to remember, that puts a, a strong emphasis on education. My father's a college president, so there was never even a question as to whether or not after high school I was going to college. And, uh, you know, I was rather resolved on my career path. You know, I wanted to be a college football coach. So, you know, uh, there was never any pressure there. But, you know, the other thing was my, my wife, uh, you know, she, she well remembered the days of her dad being out of town and on the road during the week. Uh, you know, selling and, and uh, she wanted me home, you know, so, uh, so yeah, you know, that the introduction to Parker and Associates, you know, oddly enough, and this might be counterintuitive, was not through Alan. It was, uh, it was through Daniel Parker, uh, the, the younger son. Now, certainly, I'd like to think Alan would put in a good word of endorsement for me and affirm to Ken that, hey, you know, he's a good guy. Uh, with a strong skill set, so you can't go wrong, uh, you know. But I, uh, you know, I never did even consider this, and you know, uh, and if I would have tried to, it would have been quickly <laughs> cut. I, I was kind of nervous about this interview, um, to be honest with you, um, because everybody up to this point, uh, pretty much has been a, an agent actually. And I feel like that, uh, you know, we're kind of on the same page. I, I know how to relate to them and, and good questions to ask them and stuff. But, um, how do you feel, uh, since you've never actually been an agent that, uh, that you're able to lead this, this huge force of agents? No, you know, that's a, that's a great question, Tucker. And quite frankly, you know, that, uh, that nervousness is reciprocated. <laughs> uh, but, uh, 
you know, what I would say, you know, in regards to that, first and foremost, because obviously coming in in 2010 at 27 years old with certainly no insurance sales experience and not much of a professional resume to speak of, quite frankly, because I hadn't had the time to put one together. Um, you know, I, I dealt with a lot of insecurities. I dealt with, a, you know, a lot of anxiety. Uh, but what I always hung my hat on and what I would constantly revisit is, you know, because I made a prayerful decision, my, Elaine and I did, you know, before I just, you know, again, jumped into this because I just made three career moves and to make a fourth in, you know, a year and a half, I had my family to consider and my own, you know, just quite frankly, emotional and mental wherewithal. Um, but I, when I would deal with those feelings of insecurities and anxieties and worry, you know, I would find my solace and my comfort in God. Um, and, and, you know, what I arrived to is, num you know, God, it's because of you that I've been granted this unique opportunity. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times that's cliche for me, you know, it was, it was irrefutable. How else do you explain everything that transpired? It was an absolute God thing. And so, therefore, you put me in this position, and I choose to believe that you did not put me in this position to fail. You've got a plan for my life to flourish. And I, and I promised him day one, too, in, on that front, that I was, I was going to always seek to honor him and use this platform for his glory. And... Um, and so, yeah, so I think that's the first thing, Tucker, you know, that when I would deal with those things, those anxieties and those worries, I found great peace and comfort in the fact that, you know what, I can rest. You know, God did not put me in this position to fail, and I don't know how all this is going to materialize and what it's going to look like in the future, you know, but I choose to find peace in the fact that, um, that you know, I'm going to excel, I'm going to flourish because this is, you know, God's plan. Um, and then second to that, you know, what the, an axiom that I've always tried to live by is just to be honest with people, you know, and, you know, I, I didn't need to posture myself, you know, for something that I wasn't, you know, it's, it's an irrefutable fact that, you know, I haven't been an agent. I haven't sold a policy, you know, how am I to act like I'm an expert in anything related to that? So I, you know, I've, and I've continued to try to do this. You know, I dealt with a lot of questions, you know, at first that I didn't know the answer to. And so I'd just be honest with people and say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but that's a learning opportunity for me. So I'm going to I'm gonna find out the answer and I'll get back to you. Well, uh, but I, so well, anyway, that, that, that's some initial thoughts to sure. that question. And not to mention the, the insurance agent um, typically is not a, a young man's game. I mean – like you said, I'm kind of an an anomaly, and uh, I know you have a lot of guys, um, a lot of agents now that are younger. But for the most part, um, the insurance agent uh, is a um, an end of the road thing. Well, I couldn't find anything else to do, so I'm going to go be an insurance agent. And for the most part, they're you know in their 40s or maybe even older by the time they they reached that point. And so you're coming in as this 27 year old kid. Uh, to to lead this this group of forty uh, something year old insurance agents, yeah. So it's a daunting thing to say the least. But again, you know, uh, first off, you know, by 
by way of leadership philosophy, I'm a big believer in, you know, shared governance, uh, ownership and outcome, uh, servant leadership. You know, it's a, you know, it's a, you're flipping the, the hierarchy upside down, so to speak. And I'm on the bottom, you know, sure. um, and, uh, you know, and I knew my, I knew some things that were important to me. And I felt like, again, that I, you know, I had a flair for leadership and I, you know, had some leadership roles up into that point. I knew it was important that we, that we adopted a winning culture. You know, uh, I knew that it was important that we adopted a value set that we could live and abide by our non-negotiable, so to speak. Um, and then I knew it was important that we formulated a directional plan to win that we could hold ourselves accountable to. And I knew that that stuff also was not going to happen overnight. You know, my job was to come in and give a good, honest, hard day's work every day and um, and know that the sun will come up tomorrow and it will be there waiting on me, you know. And it was going to be a process, a la Nick Saban. <laughs> you know, he always talks in terms of process. And what we've aspired to do here at One Life is – is to create a winning process, enslave ourselves to it, and not so much concern ourselves with the outcome because it's a byproduct of the winning process. And um, and so the other thing that I did, you know, on that note is tried to assemble a group of trusted individuals that I could surround myself with that were proficient in my weaknesses, one of which was the sales component that I really had no experience. And that's where, you know, Jim, you mentioned Scott Glanton, you know, uh, I, I quickly attached myself to him because I knew, you know, it surfaced quickly. I could tell he's a man of integrity, and he had an incredible work ethic, and um, and he came up through the traditional sales ranks. So he had a strong proficiency in the things that I was weak in, and uh, you know, so he quickly became kind of a right hand guy for me, and uh, you know, and and built a trusted relationship. So I've you know continued to lean on him a lot of those things. Now, a lot of the stuff I've learned vicariously through our sales force, uh, you know, and, and has helped me, uh, but it's but it's certainly been a collective effort. A lot of, you know, individuals have helped make this organization what it is today, starting first and foremost with the Parker family because, uh, you know, I would never want to take anything away from them. You know, Ken gave me the opportunity, and he had already built up an incredible infrastructure and organization um, you know, that, you know, so it was a, in, in some respects, it was a plug and play. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. So, um, I think I know your answer to this next question, but, uh, I know our listeners don't, uh, who's the most successful person, uh, that you know and why? Well, the, uh, you know, the, the, the non-Jesus answer <laughs> would be, uh, you know, my dad, um, He's, he's, he's my mentor. He's my hero. Uh, he's everything I aspire to be. Um, you know, to this day, he's my best friend. Uh, when I think about the consummate example of leadership, you know, uh, my father comes immediately to mind. Uh, he's excelled in every post that he's ever had. You know, um, he's done an incredible job at Meridian Community College. And, and he served, quite frankly, too, as, a, as an outside mentor. I mean, obviously, he's he's not learned in the insurance business, but, you know, being 28 years my senior and having a long track record of his success at a leadership post, when I first started here, I'd meet him for lunch and bounce stuff off of him. 
and get his, you know, uh, you know, thoughts and suggestions that were critical for me in the early years. Um, you know, but he, he to me is, you know, the most successful person uh, in everything that I would aspire to be in life. So uh, there's a question that we ask a lot of times in our um, conferences, our sales conferences and stuff like that, training conferences, um, and it, it always elicits the same response. And the question is, what are you passionate about? And we go around the room and we ask people and, and they tell us, you know, I'm passionate about insurance or I'm passionate about helping people or final expenses. And then we say, okay, now we're going to start over. Um, that's your job. We expect you to be passionate about that. Uh, so your answer can't say something you're passionate about uh, in your work. But when you're done at work and, you, and you're, you're ready to go home, what are you passionate about outside of work and your job? When I'm done at work and ready to go home, you know, I'm passionate about getting a Mrs. Freshly honey bun and putting it in the microwave for 21 seconds and getting a cold <laughs> glass of milk. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, not really, but Jim knows me well in my sweet <laughs> yeah. tooth. Uh, no, so, you know, my yeah, obviously it's my family. I mean, they're my everything. You know, I ascribe to the Gale Sayers paradigm. Uh, I've said this before, you know, it's always stuck with me. He penned a book, I Am Third, and that's how I've tried to live my life. You know, it's God number one, um, you know, seeking to make my Savior proud, you know, on a daily basis and, and um, you know, just, you know, uh, so thankful for what he's done for me and the unending mercies and the grace that he gives me on a daily basis sustains me and the relationship that, that I have with Jesus and then secondly, you know, it's my family and, you know, my loving wife, Elena, who's my best friend and, and number one supporter of everything that I do. Um, I've got a seven-year-old daughter that takes my breath away. And um, since the first time I laid eyes on her, uh, you know, she's continued to do that. And, um, and then her name is Katie Scott. And then my five-year-old son, Will Major, they're my everything. You know, they're my proverbial why. Um, when I wake up in the morning and my feet hit the ground, um, you know, uh, I'm industrious by nature, and I think the Lord has uh, put it in a man's heart, you know, quite frankly, to work and provide. Um, and so that comes intrinsically. But I, I, I need look no further than, you know, Katie Scott and Will Major and Elena to give me that added push. You know, uh, I never want them to want for anything. Um, again, my parents, uh, Scott and Claudia Elliott, uh, my sister, Stacy, who lives in central Florida. In fact, I'm hopeful to get to go down there and be with her and her kids, uh, here in about a week and a half. Um, looking forward to spending time with them. Um, but so, yeah, that, that, that's the, uh, that's the real passion in my life. I've, I've alluded to athletics. Obviously I'm a sports nut. Um, you know, uh, you know, all of that again takes backseat. You know, to my family though, time is important to me. You know, trying to to, to balance that. Uh, I, you know, I often fail at it. You know, um, you know, but when I come home, I try to put the phone up. Uh, in fact, next to the door, where, you know, where we put our keys, I always, you know, try to make it a habit to drop that phone in there and get, you know, and and try to shift into. You know, now I'm a father and a and a husband. I mean, a father and a husband. Um, so yeah, you know, that's my passion. 
So as far as uh, goal setting goes, uh, personal goal setting, um, I know you've got a bunch of uh, business goals and things for One Life, but uh, what does goal setting look like for you personally? Uh, do you write them down? Are they um, plastered on your wall? Do you throw them in a drawer? Uh, what does that look like? No, that's a you know it's a great question. I'm a, and yes, I do believe in in goals. And I'd be lying if I said that you know I'm that dedicated that I write them down and have them in front of me on a daily basis. But uh, you know, uh, first and foremost, I'd like to see my kids come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, and I pray for that daily. And neither one of them have made that decision as of yet. Um, you know, but we keep them engaged in our local church body, and so that they're. The gospel is in front of them, and we pray for that. Elaine and I do, you know, daily, and I want to see them excel in life. Um, and that, so that's that's definitely <laughs> the number one goal for me. Secondly, you know, uh, I'm a, uh, you know, like to see myself continue to grow and develop as a person, uh, you know, spiritually, socially, and otherwise. I'm a big believer in reading. So I do have a goal to, to knock down 24 books this year. So that's two a month, and and I'm on I'm on pace right now. I've I've knocked out about eight books. Um, I love uh, biographies of successful people. I love hearing stories of how they got to where they are today. Uh, you know, I read Sam Walton's bio this year. I read uh, Ray Kroc's bio this year. Phil Knight's bio. All of those are inspirational. Um, you know, so those are. You know, those are some goals. And then, you know, quite frankly, it's just always positioning myself where I can come in, be very efficient, you know, at work, do what I need to do within the confines of the eight to nine hours on a daily basis, and then really spend time with family. And on the weekends, you know, especially because for me, you know, if I don't do that, then I have to really step back and ask myself, what in the world am I doing? You know, if they're my why, but I can't spend time with them, particularly in the all-important formative childhood years, then what is it that I'm really doing, doing you know? Since you mentioned something about books, uh, usually I, I save this one until the end, but uh, we'll hit it right now. Are there, any, um, are there any books that you've read multiple times or a book that you find gifting often to other people or, or telling them, hey, you got to read this one. It's amazing. you gotta, you got to check it out. Uh, you know, I'd certainly, I think, have some recommendations. I, I'm not one that usually goes back and revisits a book. You know, I'm on to the next one. That, that would, quite honestly, that would probably be difficult for me to do, no matter how good it is, to, other than the Bible, of course, um, which would be my first recommendation, you know, and, and, you know, for those that might be looking for a plan of action on that front, I think a good place to start is Proverbs, and there's so much application you know, to our business, and it just so happens that there's 31 chapters, and you can read a day, uh, a chapter that's commensurate to the day, you know, um, so today's the 19th, so you can start by reading Proverbs 19, and just the wisdom of Solomon is just incredible. Um, you know, the, one, of, one of the books I read last year that I love is H3 Leadership. I think that's a tremendous read, uh, and I think it really embodies kind of my leadership for uh, philosophy, it talks about humility. It talks about, you know, hunger. talks about hustle, you know, and, and I think that, uh, you know, a, a humble approach to life and to business and having hunger, which to me, 
you know, is indicative of an, an intrinsic drive to excel in whatever you're doing. And then, and then um, you know, the hustle component is the work ethic, which I've always prided myself in. Um, so that, that is a tremendous read uh, that I would readily recommend. I love uh, Lou Holtz, Wins and Losses. I remember that having a profound, you know, impact on me. Again, I always wanted to be a college football coach. And I, I love learning about the axioms that he brought, uh, you know, to uh, to work uh, that caught, uh, you know compelled him to excel in college coaching. Um, and on that note, I love Urban Meyer's plan to win, uh, and I've e- extrapolated a lot actually from that that I've applied into the business world. Um, so those would be three books that come readily to mind. Not your probably your traditional ones that you hear. You know, in the sales arena, a la Napoleon Hill, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, Zig Ziglar, uh, Brian Tracy, et cetera. I've read those books, John Maxwell as well. But I really like the the uh, biographical works. I'm reading Nick Saban's biography right now, and it's just replete with, uh, you know, rich stuff that to me, you know, is leadership application. And, uh, and of course, you know, loving, you know, college football, especially, you know, uh, you know, it just keeps me, you know, engaged in the, in the book. Do you, uh, do you ever read any, uh, fiction or is it always nonfiction? You know, rarely do I read fiction. Probably the closest thing to that is maybe like Andy Andrews, you know, if you're familiar with him, um, you know, I've read a lot of his works and, and, um, but, but mostly nonfiction, like I'm, I'm reading, uh, I'm reading a book by Warren Buffett right now, and it's about interpreting financial statements. So it sounds boring, but it's actually a really good read. And of course, he's just a guru. And then I'm reading Primary Greatness by uh, Stephen Covey right now, and then Nick Saban's biography. So, and that's something that I've started doing. That, uh, yeah, you know, and and it's interesting because I'm really not a good multitasker. And Elena will tell you I can't do two things at once. <laughs> Uh, you know, but I've I've started. You know, I'm always reading a biography, and in conjunction with that, usually some kind of uh, business book like a Stephen Covey. And and uh, you, typically, I'm reading two books at once. Uh, three books is a rarity, but you know, I picked up a Warren Buffett, uh, you know, book that interests me. Have you ever read uh, Warren Buffett's like annual annual statement? Um, I I got it. Obviously, I must own some stock of his or something, but. Um, it's like a book and it, I guess he does this every year. Um, and I, I just started thumbing through it and reading it and I found myself, you know, 10 pages deep going, I can't believe I'm enjoying this, but it's very interesting. (laughs) You know, I haven't Tucker. In fact, you know, admittedly, this is the first read of his that I've engaged in. Uh, you know, I've, I've started to become just recently real interested in him, um, and, you know, but that's that. So I appreciate the recommendation. Read his book, uh, Snowball, Scotty. I think I don't know if it was the first book, but it's something I, I I listen to all my books while I'm traveling. I listen to them, but I listened to Snowball uh, several years ago. And it's basically the, his history is where he started and why he got involved and what he does. It's, and it's really interesting because um, he's heavily involved in insurance and because he he looks at how much money comes in every month and how little goes out. And you get to play with this money interest-free and, and thing the float yeah and so yep. yeah snowball's an excellent book that he written that he wrote also sure no i just wrote down the recommendation 
So um, what is one of your favorite failures? And by that, I mean uh, something that you look back and say, man, I, I screwed that up, but I'm glad I did because it led me down this path. Does anything come to mind? Uh, well, I don't want this to sound arrogant because Lord knows I've had, you know, many, many, uh, you know, failures in life. But um, that one I might have to <laughs> sit back and chew on for a little bit. Um, can we go to the next question? And if I think of something, I can come, come back to that. Because, again, I don't mean that. That's just a tough question to really consider, quite frankly, because there's been so many. <laughs> so many no i think a lot of it is is your mindset i i feel um my mind i don't i don't look at failures as failures other than it's something that, that occurred in the path to getting me where i want to go and i think that's a difficult question you know because i when, when you look at failures as the you know you mentioned earlier about nick saban talking about the process it's part of the process well right and and again i don't because fear of coming across, you know, arrogantly, which I would never want to do, you know, it's difficult, I think, for a winner, which, uh, you know, I would class myself, classify myself as a winner, and I know both of you would as well, and you're right, it's really a mentality, uh, you know, because we often talk about, talk about failure is not an option, <laughs> you know, and so, you, and, and we're simply not going to be defeated, you know, we're not going to let it get the best of us, you know, so that, so obviously I'm human, so I've, you know, I've had many personal and professional, you know, uh, misgivings, you know, but you're absolutely correct, you know, uh, Jim, and I readily identify with that philosophy. I mean, because when you come into work each day and, and you, you're committed to winning, you know, and, you're, and your mindset is one of failure is not an option, that makes that difficult to answer. <laughs> So let's, uh, I want to take the other side of it. And this is a question that I ask my agents and it's, you know, on a weekly basis, um, when, once you hit your goal and you're successful and you do that over and over again, do you still have elation in that success or does it just, um, do you just take it for granted? And, um, like you said, so many times it's like the good Lord puts you there and, and he, put you there for a reason, but, um, when you see success, um, that, that you've, uh, had your hand in, um, is it just something that you've come to expect because you are that winner or is it, uh, something that you're like elated to see again? No, it's a great question. And, and so I would say this on that, um, note, certainly I, it's an expectation if you've got a winning mentality. You know, I would start there. We we come into this thing and we expect to accomplish our goals. I think that's part of the winning process. You know, uh, are you elated when you do hit certain milestones? Absolutely. And if you can't celebrate success, then again, I, you know, and that's one of the things. I've, I'm not a University of Alabama fan, but I, I certainly respect what Nick Saban's done. And if you've ever watched, you know, after he wins a game, he just rarely seems to be, you know, satisfied. And I've often wondered, you know, is that, you know, uh, is that healthy? I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm one that would like to celebrate success, but certainly not grow complacent. I think that's important, you know, component to enjoying life. And um, and so, yes, it's an expectation. Yes, I think it's important that when we hit milestones that we stop and enjoy them. You know, and we find gratification in those, and that helps sustain us, uh, you know, because quite frankly, you know, certainly on the professional front, let's face it, it's a grind, you know. And if you can't do that, then I think that you're, you, 
you know, you run the risk of wearing yourself out. Um, so, yeah, and, and, and relative to maybe some goals that we've hit here, uh, you know, the, uh, a movie just recently came out, and, and um, it's, it's called, it's entitled Sing, and it's a cartoon movie. I've seen it about 100 times because I have a 5- and a 7-year-old. As we all have. <laughs> yeah, and there's a song on it, and it says, you know, it goes, I'm still standing. Uh, you know, that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of, you know, that after, you know, almost eight years here at One Life, because it was a daunting task that was before me, and I'm still standing, you know. Uh, you know, I'm proud of that fact. You know, one of the things that probably my biggest professional goal is I, I want Ken Parker to look back on my hire and say it was the best decision that he's ever made, you know, and that drives me because he put so much faith and trust in me. Um, you know, we've uh, some milestones we've accomplished. I remember the first time we hit a million in a week in the One Life era. You know, I took great gratification in that. Um, you know, that was uh, that was a that was a great day. You know, I want I can't wait till we hit two million in a week. You know, and that's a goal of ours. So. So, uh, again, another one I ask my agents and stuff, you know, what drives you uh, to get out and, and go do your job? And I think my dad and I have talked about this. Like, I, I don't think I could do it, Scotty does, you know, just going to the office, um, you know, because we're, we're agents at heart. But uh, what drives you to, uh, to get to work and, and to do your job? Uh, well, I've already alluded to my family, of course, and that's first and foremost. But then it would be my work family. You know, I've got a, a strong sense of responsibility and accountability to these people that, you know, uh, that I'm surrounded by. And, again, this is a collective effort. We're a team, and I don't want to be a weak link. You know, uh, that would keep me up at night. And so that drives me to give everything I've got. You know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. So first, you know, I serve an audience of one. That's why I think a Christian culture makes the best culture. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I told Ken I want us to be the Chick-fil-A of insurance uh, because if we're, if we're working for the Lord and not for men, you know, then we should be giving our best effort. So I'm accountable to that. I'm accountable to my family at home, and I'm accountable to these people here at One Life, uh, you know, our our, our staff family and our distribution family alike, you know, uh, that drives me. I want to give them the, everything that I've got, you know, and the, and the only absolutes that you'll ever hear me speak of in the professional realm is that I'm always going to be honest and integrity is a core value at One Life, and I'm always going to give it my best. I'm going to work my hardest. And, um, and so I make that absolute promise to the people around me, and I want to fulfill on that promise every day I come in here. So I, I think uh, a lot of times contentment can be the the opposition to drive. Um, but in this in this next question, I almost hesitate that your answer might be the same as is what gives you contentment um, as opposed to drive. Well, sure. Well, uh, you know, um, I have to think about that. But again, not to over spiritualize everything, but it's an in- you know, it's part of my fabric, right, as a child of God. I mean, we find our joy in him and him alone. And he's, he's made us that way, you know. Uh, so I'm in a constant state of joy because of my salvation, right, uh, because I've gotten a get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> That's something to be joyful about. 
does that mean I'm always happy? You know, no, I'm human, and I go, my emotions ebb and flow. You know, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm often discontented. You know, uh, personally and professionally, I'm human. You know, but I'm in a constant you know state of joy in my salvation. Uh, you know, at, at work, you know, I again because we're so driven and we've got a competitive excellence culture here, and there's so many unhit goals now. You know. Uh, you know, I do think you have to be careful with being contented. That doesn't mean that you don't stop to celebrate, again, some, uh, you know, some, some milestones that you hit. But, you know, you never let complacency set in, and, and, all, and particularly in today's market. You just can't. You'll swiftly be left behind if you do. Um, you know, so that constant rub is there. We talked about it a little bit earlier um, with your – unfamiliarity with uh, some of the the things we sell and, and how to sell it and stuff. So in light of that, how do you ask questions? How do you um, get to that point of, of learning and mastery of something that, that you're unfamiliar with? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing is I, I, I'm not supposed to be all things to all people. So I got to know my role and I need to embrace it. Right, and I don't, you know, Ken didn't hire me and name me president to be a professional underwriter. That's not my role, you know. And in my role, I, I have to concern myself with the economics of our business model, and I have to stay in tune with those, with the management of our financial resources, you know, interfacing with our carrier partners, which is critical component to our success. You know, constantly looking for you know, uh, new items that are going to be pertinent to our sustainability, whether that be product with carrier or a different market that we need to consider, uh, you know, interfacing, you know, with our, uh, you know, our leaders, uh, you know, uh, not that I'm averse to talking to, you know, uh, the the agents, you know, the, I serve the agents, but we have to be efficient, you know, with our time. We have to know our role and we need to embrace that. And so, you know, if you start drilling down on me on, you know, the Forester's application and, you know, asking me questions relative, uh, you know, to underwriting, you know, I would just be go back to what I've said, you know, be honest, say, you know, I don't know the answer to that question, but I know somebody that does, it's an expert in that arena, and we'll get with them and get it for you, you know. That's perfect. Um, if you could... Uh... If you could look at your future self and you're 80 years old and you're old, retired, and gray, and uh, you could come back and give yourself one piece of advice right now, what do you think you'd, you'd tell yourself? Oh, goodness. Um, <laughs> and, and right where I am today, you know, is to uh, not take things too seriously. You know, uh, Gary Smalley, I think, is the, the, the uh, you know, psychologist that said don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, let's face it, I have a tendency to do that. <laughs> you know, don't stress too much. Enjoy your family, you know, uh, carpe diem. You know, all those things that run through my head on a near daily basis, you know. Uh, and, and some days I, I, I win, right, and I get that. And, um, and, and then some days I lose. And, um, and I get caught up in that, that rat race mentality that, that doesn't align, you know, uh, with biblical principles either. Um, you know, so that's my, that's my biggest fear. You know, my kids are growing up so fast right before my eyes, and, and I realize that. 
uh, you know, am I prudent to enjoy enjoy it? You know, I, my parents tell tell Elaine and I, you know, you guys are in your best years, you know, and and I do, I believe that, you know, and and I readily take that counsel, you know, I don't I don't want to be above that, you know, but I, sometimes I want to say, you know, I know you've told me, you know, uh, am I doing something that suggests that I don't understand that, but. You know, but I, I, I never, I, I need to be receptive to that. And it's like the gospel, right? I, I need to hear it every day because I forget it. You know, Martin Luther, he used to, every Sunday he'd come in, you know, to his congregation and he'd preach the gospel. And they'd say, you know, you why do you preach the gospel every Sunday? He said, because you forget it every week. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so I think for you and me, Tucker, you know, we always need to receive that wisdom, you know, and that encouragement and embrace the day. You're 34 now, is that right? I'm 35. 35. Yeah. Um, if you could go back to yourself at 20, let's say 26, 27, right, when you were first starting, could would you give yourself a certain piece of advice? Mm. Oh, goodness. Uh, probably a, a lot in the same vein. I mean, I look at myself back then again, and it was a whirlwind materialization uh, to, to get me here and, you know, I, I dealt with, again, a lot of insecurities, and I would just, you know, be able to, uh, you know, encourage myself that, hey, this, it's going to work out, you know, uh, you know, just, uh, just take each, take it one day at a time, you know, and, and don't worry so much about the future, and, um, you know, because it's, it, 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 it's going to work out for you. So these uh, next questions hopefully will be a little bit quicker, not that your answers need to be quicker, um, but uh, and we already touched on the books question, but what's one experience that you believe everyone should try at least once? Ooh, goodness. Uh, cookie dough ice cream? <laughs> not, every, not every night, though, Scotty. With a, in a waffle cone. I mean, um, that's been my you know flavor of late, uh, Baskin-Robbins. Um, no, I mean, uh, man, that's tough. I, I uh, you know, I, I love to travel, and, th- and being in this business, that's been one of the ancillary benefits that I didn't expect. And, um, you know, uh, the favorite place I've been thus far is Interlock in Switzerland going over there. You know, that's that was postcard-esque all six days that I was there, literally. And, it, and I, you know, not only did I see how big of a god we serve by just meeting new people in different culture, you know, but also seeing his creation that was magnificent. So I would say that, you know, you got to, you know, uh, you know, if you've never been outside of your, you know, geographic comfort zone, you need to go travel somewhere, you know, uh, because it really does expand your thinking. Do you have any uh, specific, well, actually, I don't want to jump into that one first. Uh, I want to ask you more about travel real quick um, because this, um, this business we're in affords us some of the best travel ever. And I think, uh, you know what I'm talking about with these awesome resorts that we go to and things like that, but there's a, a definite reason why I was drawn to this business. Um, but you might touch on a little bit, the, just the amazing, um, amenities and things that, that we get to experience. Yeah, I mean, I have to believe it's second to none. And for you know the college graduate, I would say it's the it's the best kept secret in the world. I mean, <laughs> this business is absolutely unbelievable. You know, the freedom that it affords you. You know, the opportunity, the financial opportunity that affords you. 
the fact that it rewards hard work. There's no ceiling. You know, uh, you know the the, uh, the trips that we get to qualify and go on. I mean, I've in seven years' time, I've been all over the world, and I'm thankful, uh, you know, for Ken Parker for that. You know, I've I've been to Europe multiple times. I just got back from uh, Greece. I was in Malta. I was in Rhodes, Athens. I saw the Parthenon. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I would have never anticipated getting to do those things. Those were unexpected blessings that have changed my life, you know, uh, again, because it's really expanded my, you know, my mindset and, and seeing how big this world is and how big God is as a result. Um, you know, that's been an incredible, you know, component of this business. And it, and if had, a, had it not been for the business, you know, I wouldn't have done those things. You know, the fact that you can earn it and the carriers, you know, front the cost and, you know, who, who's going to, you know, go pay for those things. Um, you know, it's an incredible thing. Sure. Uh, let's jump into the, the rituals. Do you have any specific morning rituals, things that you do every day uh, besides the Red Bull? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I'm home, because I do, I, you know, as we've expanded and grown our distribution, it's necessitated me being on the road more, you know, with our carrier partners and our agency partners alike. But when I'm home, you know, I try to wake up early, and for me, early is 5:45, and um, and I spend the first hour on. I've got a stationary bike, so it's not too physically exerting, but it is some exercise, and it's uh, one of those recumbent bikes too. So, you know, you 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 know, it's about as least of a physical exercise you could get. But, you know, I spend, <clears throat> I wake up 5:45, I get on the bike, I open up the Bible, spend, you know. 20 minutes in God's Word, and then the next 40 minutes, that's my dedicated time to read. Um, you know, so that's a ritualistic thing. That brings me to about 6.45. The kids are waking up then. Katie Scott and Will Major, I try to be a helpful husband in the morning, and typically I'm the one that's getting the breakfast while Elena's preparing the clothes, you know, and, and get them cereal and turn on their favorite show in the morning, you know, and then... That leaves me about 7.15. I'm jumping in the shower, getting ready for work, and Katie Scott and I are out the door typically around 7.45. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the day when I'm in town is I take her to school, and that's a seven-minute ride, and it's just precious to me. So I get to spend that, you know, uh, unimpeded time with my daughter, pray for her as she goes into school, and then I'm usually rolling in into work right there, you know, thereafter and getting in around 8.15 or so. Uh, yeah, so that's that is you know uh, my traditional morning regiment when I'm home. Do you uh, do you have any evening or before bed rituals uh, that you do every day? Honestly, no. You know that uh, not by design, anyways. Typically, you know, uh, you know, I come through the door around you know five thirty, five forty-five. I put the phone up. And, um, you know, I dive in into husband and well, really father mode at that point uh, because our kids, my wife has done a tremendous job with keeping them on a routine that they can depend on. And uh, they usually are going to bed between 7.30 and 8. So I know I've got a couple hours to enjoy them. And I'm at their disposal the best that I can. You know, and when I say the best that I can, you know, that transition is, is hard. And I haven't figured that one out just yet. I really need a decompression chamber. You know, when I come through the door, and I wish we could stop time so that my kids don't have to suffer, <laughs> and I could decompress and then, you know, be into to father mode. But I try to be with them, 
you know, until such time they go to bed. And then, you know, I help tuck them in. And then usually, you know, I'm pretty much spent, you know, and Elaine and I, you know, typically, you know, just jump into bed. We might turn on the TV and, and really just veg, you know, because that's quite frankly what I need. I've just been so mentally engaged and exerted up to that point that <laughs> we might turn on our th- our shows or we like those Dateline murder mysteries, you know, we might turn one of those on and just sit there in a more or less vegetative state where I don't have to do any critical thinking, you know, and, and uh, you know, spend some time with her. And I'm usually going to bed 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Cool. Do you have any uh, quotes or sayings or mantras or anything that you keep around as a, a constant reminder? Uh, you know, not not really. I mean, I alluded to one of my favorite scriptures that kind of carry me each day, and it would be a scriptural mantra, you know, Colossians 3.23. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've always, you know, I tell our folks I, I'm a big fan of it. If it's going to be, it's up to me. You know, uh, you know, to focus on uh, control the controllables. I oftentimes say that, and those uh, those two are in similar vein. You know, I think that oftentimes we worry, you know, ourselves with things outside of our sphere of control. What is it that we can control? You know, we can control, you know, our honesty and our work ethic. Uh, you know, so th- those are some things that come, you know, readily to mind. Uh, you you mentioned. Um, proverbs and, and things like that too. But uh, do you have anything like what's one to two things that people could do or change in the next uh, week or so that would have a drastic impact on their lives? Mm. Well, I, I tell you what, that I, since you said it, uh, I, I would challenge our listenership, you know, uh, to, you know, Spend the first part of their day because that really sets the tone for, you know, the rest of the day. Uh, and it wouldn't be that much of a time commitment if you're not only, if you're not already spending time with God in the morning. I would challenge them to take whatever day it is and either read or listen to that chapter of Proverbs and follow that up with just a quick prayer, uh, you know, uh, you know, to seek the Lord and thank Him for, you know, a new day, you know, that, that creates proper mindset and perspective. Hey, you know, I woke up this morning, and and you put uh, you put breath into me, and I'm living and I'm breathing, you know, and thank you for that. And be with me this day, you know, uh, lead, guide, and direct my steps. Uh, you know, that that takes less than five minutes. And if you and if you would start to make that a part of their you know daily habit, I think it has profound impact because so much of what we do is mindset in 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 this line of work. And if you can get into that type of mindset, you know that one of gratitude, you know, truly embrace an attitude of gratitude and keep that as your perspective throughout the day that you're thankful to be alive and to have the opportunity to get to do what we do you know, and embrace positivity, you know, that I think it would have a profound impact. And and, and to also, you know, the, the first line of purpose-driven life is always stuck with me, and it's counterculture. And, uh, you know, Rick Warren said, it's, it's not about you. And, um, you know, in our culture today, I call it the selfie society, and, you know, perhaps we're all guilty of it at times. I know I am. You know, but, you know, 
we take pictures of ourselves and we post them all over the place, and which is again not that's not intended to be a slight, uh, but it's really indicative and reflective of where our culture has gravitated to, and it's, and we make it about us, you know. But if we could wake up in the morning and be reminded of fact, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about the people that we're trying to serve and help, and um, so anyway, those are some thoughts that come to mind. Uh, yeah, this isn't quite a question, but it's it's something that I've noticed is, is very common, and I think it's about you know you're you're the average of the five people you associate with most often. But um, and we record these these things in our local Catholic radio station, but um, it's just very common that everybody we've had on here so far has, has mentioned something uh, about Christ or about their relationship with God, and that that's pretty awesome. So. Uh, do you have any podcasts or books or, or websites or resources or anything like that that uh, are part of your weekly or daily things that you check in on? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know uh, if I'm just being honest, I really haven't gotten much into podcasts, uh, and and it's probably for me, Tucker. When you think about what I do, you know, if I was out on the road every day, like in, had windshield time. I know that I would be an adopter of that uh, because I'm always wanting to feed my mind, you know, with good stuff. I think that's important. You know, the input is the is ultimately the output. Um, but, you know, my day when I'm in the office is, you know, I'm behind a computer. I'm on the phone. I'm at a desk. You know, I'm, I'm you know, visiting with people. There's not much wasted time in my day. Um, and, and so, but I do read, and like I said, I do that in the mornings. And I've already, you know, mentioned some books. The one, you know, the ones that I'm currently reading as well, the uh, Nick Saban and Primary Greatness and the Warren Buffett Interpretation of Financial Statements. Uh, but, no, I don't, I don't listen to podcasts, but I do like to read. Um, and that's really the extent, you know, of it for me. And then I totally agree with the axiom you alluded to. I think it's a Jim Rohn staple you know, we're the average, uh, you know, uh, or the sum of the average of five, the five people that we surround ourselves to. And we do have to be careful with our company. And I talk, I always say, you know, associate up. By that, I mean, you know, people that you're, try, that you're trying to be like, get to, you know, get connected with them, associate with them often, you know, and it will have a profound impact on you. So if um, if there's somebody who has a, a little bit of experience or maybe they just got their um, their insurance license or something and they contacted you and said, okay, um, why One Life? Why should I come to work for One Life? What would you say to them? Well, first and foremost, it's absolute, you know, culture. It's a, it's a Christ-honoring, service-oriented culture, and we pride ourselves in this right here doing what we say we're going to do, you know, and, uh, and that's key. You know, I wouldn't begin to make, you know, a promise on the number of leads they're going to get. I can I can be like a stockbroker, right. And I can speak to our historical track record in that regard. You know, here's what we've done in the past. Here's what we project to do in the future. You know, but when there's variables outside of my sphere of control, I'm careful to speak in absolutes, you know, uh, you know, but first and foremost, we have a winning culture. It's a family environment. You know, we're God-honoring platform. Um, we pride ourselves in doing what we say we're going to do, following through, you know, uh, trying to win in communication. I think that's key. 
key. Um, and then outside of that, you know, really having, you know, tools and resources, uh, you know, at our ready disposal, i.e. leads, uh, training, uh, incentive programs, competitive carriers, a real holistic support platform designed to provide an agent with those tools and resources to be successful. Ultimately, it's up to the agent, right? You know, because it's the old adage, we can lead you to water, but we can't make you drink. You know, and so our, our job is to, you know, to lead you to the water. Um, and I think we do a good job of that. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we've got, we've got to get better in some areas, uh, but we're committed to working hard every day on that front as well. One of the things, Scotty, that I will add to that, the, um, <clears throat> I've been in this business for 29 years. Um, I was a captive agent for 16, same company that Ken Parker was a part of, Old American back in the uh, 80s and 90s. Um, I've helped build uh, four pretty uh, successful marketing organizations in this process. And one of the things that, and I don't see this, I don't say this very often, but there's very few people in this business that will actually do what they say they're going to do and, and back it up with the integrity that, uh, that you and Scotty and, and One Life does. And this is something that I continue to tell people. And, and every once in a while, Scott will you know, send someone to me that said, hey, they're, they're checking it out and they, and they want an endorsement or they want a comment from me. They want, a, they want my opinion of One Life. And um, I've been taken advantage, advantage of by companies, by uh, marketers, uh, by lead organizations. Uh, but I will say one thing in total honesty, I've never been taken advantage of by One Life America. And you've done everything you said you would, were going to do and then some. I mean, you definitely... Uh, under promise and over deliver for us many many times and, and Scott Glanton also has done everything that he said he would do and, and then some and so as my plug for One Life America and, and these podcasts will be public I have no idea who's going to listen to them these are not just going to recruits these are not just going to existing agents this is going to be publicly prod, uh, broadcast on iTunes and so I would definitely say if anybody's interested in One Life America or interested in this business One Life America is a company you want to look at well, Jim, that endorsement means everything, you know, to me, and, and we hold that trust near and dear to our hearts, and uh, and the friendship, you know, is uh, so meaningful, you know, to us, and, and everything that you just said as it pertains to you, Tucker, and your organization has been absolutely reciprocated, <laughs> you know, because it's a two-way street in the relationship business, and, you know, you followed through on your end as well. And I think that that's what's created, you know, a sustainable business partnership. And then, the, you know, the thing that also makes it very special is the likability factor and the friendship. And um, and so thank you so much for those kind words. I, I've got one last question for you, but uh, before we get to it, it, where can people find you? Uh, are you on Facebook or Twitter or do you just uh, want them to check you out on the One Life website? Where can they find more about Scotty? Yeah, so, uh, the, you know, I don't have a lot of stuff out there, admittedly, you know, Tucker. And, in fact, I don't engage in social media now. I expect to as my kids get older <laughs> by way of, you know, just kind of policing. Um, but, you know, you know, I'm, I'm a representation of One Life America and certainly our website, onelifeamerica.com. And, and we're actually in the mode of, uh, you know, going through uh, some assessment to make some changes. It's in need of some freshening up. Uh, but, you know, if you Google One Life America, uh, you know, I'm sure you can find some stuff out there about us. Um, 
and hopefully there's more good than bad. I'm sure there's some bad stuff out there as well. Um, you know, but again, uh, and I, and certainly, you know, I would welcome any feedback from anybody. I'm open to any questions, you know, and, um, you know, if they call the home office and want to ask for me, you know, then I'm certainly not sitting in any kind of ivory tower. I make myself accessible. Well, we sure appreciate your time. And uh, before we go, what uh, what would you like for your personal legacy to be? Um, ooh, man, that's a that's a good one. Uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, you know, much like David in the Bible, I would love for people to say, you know, he was a guy after God's own heart. You know, and I and I fail in that regard so much, but. You know, there was a guy that loved the Lord, um, that loved his family, and that, and it was a man of integrity, you know, um, that loved life, that worked hard, you know, prided himself in a strong work ethic, and, uh, you know, cared for people. Well, that's awesome, Scotty. Thanks so much for taking the time to be on here with us, and uh, we appreciate it for sure. Uh, It's my honor and privilege. I can't thank you guys enough, you know, Tucker, and we're praying for you and um, and Kimber and and, uh, just, you know, so excited for you as you parent her along. Scotty, thank you so much. Uh, I know your time is very valuable, um, and for you to uh, spend, you know, an hour and 45 minutes with us, uh, this means a lot, and um, this was awesome. This was an awesome podcast, so thank you so much. Thanks, Jim. Talk to you all soon. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Stop by oneanddonetraining.com. That's the number one, A-N-D-D-O-N-E, training.com. There you'll find our blog, media library, and ongoing training to help with your final expense career. Thanks. We'll see you there.